Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about player types. Nathan, what do I mean by player types and why does it matter? So. What he means by player types is what kind of players are there and how do players choose to play the game? And why does it matter? Well, depending on the kind of kinds of players that you have, as a dungeon master, you need to have your campaigns play in a certain way that suits their playstyles. Yeah. And it's to just be to have an expectation of you get an idea of how the style of your players is and that helps kind of guide you as a dm for the style of game that you either want to run or plan to run or just to steer in another direction if you do end up with something unexpected so i'm actually going to be doing something slightly unusual today which is that my main source for this conversation is actually going to be the fourth edition uh dungeon master's guide because oddly enough this is a important topic that is not at all mentioned anywhere in the 5th edition books, but it actually has a couple of pages on it in the 4e DMG. So I'm just going to go from, straight from there. So to be honest, there are many, many more archetypes that could be argued that exist than the specific eight that are listed here, but it does enough to create just a summary to have expectations and understanding of the most common varieties that exist. However, I do also need to caution that, yeah, there are going to be people who do specifically slot into these nice boxes, but there also are people who do, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Nothing is, you know, completely perfectly in the box. That's just not how humans are. So that being said, the eight player types that we're going to be talking about today are the actor, explorer, instigator, power gamer, slayer, storyteller, thinker, and watcher. So I'm just kind of curious, just before I actually get into any of the explanations about them, do any of those sound like yourself, Nathan? I, I'm not sure, actually, because I, I don't really play enough to have a very solid idea of how I personally play most of the time. All right, so we're just going to put a bookmark in that for the moment, and I'm going to ask you again after we actually go over it, because yeah. it actually stands out to me that like the eight, like I said, they don't have every single possibility, but most of us do have something that is, I would say, our primary. So we will revisit that later on in the episode. So first things first, we have the actor. So this is a person who likes to pretend to be their character. So a lot of people, when they are role-playing, they will use, like, their character's name. So, like, Morris does this, you know, or so-and-so does that. But this type of player will often just use first-person. So they will say, you know, I, you know, try to bash the door down, or I swing my hammer at them. So they often do try to be that kind of more immersive just type of player. So a lot of their motivation while playing is to have more interactions inside the game, whether it is like the character, you know, talking to 
the other just NPCs and PCs in the world or them just taking direct actions. And a lot of the time they will value like the character moments over a lot of the others. That doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like getting into fights, but just that they just have a different angle on how their style is. So then we have the Explorer. So that one is thankfully relatively self-explanatory. They like to see new places in the world and try to meet the people. And what is kind of interesting is that I would say this is oddly a rarer player type because a lot of the time players do just kind of go through the motions and they don't often kind of set exploring as a goal, which is just of interest to me because part of the fun of a dungeon master is to build this large world to explore, and yet it is really is surprisingly rare for a character's goal to actually be just to explore. A lot of the like, time they might good. Sorry. Okay. So I, I like hearing you say that, I, I just realized something is that I can imagine someone who's an explorer would in particular like someone with my DM style, but who had a bit a better hold on their their overall world building and because you 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 get that kind of um like i'm 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 certain that most of the cast like enjoy the bits where i explain and go into depth on like the different places that they visit because it really brings things up but for an uh, explorer type player it, it it just would be next level and really what they would be going for Exactly. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to do this episode to, is to point out how the player types can align with the Dungeon Master's world in, you know, greater or lesser ways. So as a Dungeon Master, because you do have that kind of more descriptive style, an Explorer player would be beautifully suited to playing in your campaign. Unfortunately for us in particular, we, we don't have any... So that, I'm sorry, but just kind of sucks for you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, talking more about the explorer themselves, though. So instead of just wanting to explore, they also can be the type who try to poke at for details more often. Like they want to know, you know, what are the names of people and places? Like, you know, what's this bartender's name and what's their kind of history? And they just kind of poke into more details to just learn more of the kind of nitty gritty details that yeah, are just in the game. Yeah, that's actually quite uh, fun to have uh, as a dungeon master because, um, I mean, it's fun if you know if if you have that stuff. It's no fun if you don't have that stuff, right? So if you had that stuff, it it would be like, yes, I get to pull on this little bit of history that I I would otherwise not be able to tell the players. And those moments where normally during the story where I had to have had to intentionally like. Uh, have one of the uh, other characters like info dump you guys or do exposition would have been covered by, you know, the explorer uh, asking me the big questions. Exactly. So next up, we have the instigator. This is a much more common player type. And I'm just going to actually paraphrase the first couple of sentences. And I think uh, the who is this one will jump out rather quickly for you, Nathan. An instigator enjoys making things happen. They have no patience for careful planning or deliberation. They'll open an obviously trapped chest just to see what happens. 
(laughs) Authority figures and open dungeon doors to bring more monsters into an already difficult fight. The instigator loves the vicarious thrill of taking enormous risks and sometimes just making bad choices. Bad choices. (laughs) Enormous risks, everyone. I, I, I can, like, anyone who has ever listened to Ref Wing would instantly understand who that is and um, knows exactly who we're talking about. It's Caden, uh, who plays Gorfrunderheim. <laughs> Every single turning point in the story on this show has been because of his meddling in some way or another. <laughs> like, pretty much. So, what's interesting, though, is that the instigator is one of the most... Oh, how do I even phrase this? The person that provokes the most debate just among DMs of whether having an instigator is a good thing or not. Because if you do not have any instigator at the table, at least even to some extent, even if they're not a full-on instigator, then you can just kind of be sitting there passively. If no one wants to do anything, if no one wants to poke to see what happens, then there can be games that just don't have anything start. They don't have any momentum build due to the lack of instigation. So, so Remy, what, what is your own personal opinion of uh, an, an instigator? So I actually am pro-instigator. So what is mm, troublesome, to put it politely, is if you have multiple instigators, because it is a player type that can egg each other on, and that can just throw chaos into a game. And again, I'm not saying that that's automatically a bad thing. I'm simply saying that it's something that a DM needs to be cautious of because DMs usually have like a couple of potential plans, like an ABC, you know, type of thing in their head. However, if you have multiple instigators egging each other on, then that could be something like, you know, the bard who tries to seduce everyone and the yeah. rogue who is trying to, you know, sneak into all the places that they shouldn't be. And like those types of characters can often get along with each other too well and just throw your plans into chaos, which however, can be fun, but it's dangerous. However, I would say that, um, so let's say if you're someone like me uh someone like me who is able like um most often i'm able to do this uh basically come up with shit on the fly that works with the wider story and what you're going for an instigator and even multiple instigators will find your games to be rather fun and really entertaining because you are just able to keep up with their energy and their um, the the what what they want to do, and you're able to be like, okay, you do this, okay, I'm, I've 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 got this idea right now, and then you just slap it on the table, and yeah, it can be great fun to do that as well. Absolutely, and one of the pros of instigators too is that sometimes they they will prompt moments that were out of your plans, but in that best way possible that can happen where like, oh, that is a much better idea. Like I did not at all think of that, but you're totally right that if you, you know, go this way instead and tr- or try talking to this person, like that could also be a lot of fun or to try like setting these two guys against each other instead of trying to make it a fight directly. Because one common misconception when it comes to instigator is that it's always attack first and that is not necessarily the case although it is often the case but it could also just be like going back to what i said a moment ago the bard who tries to seduce everyone it's not that they're trying to start a fight but they're definitely trying to make things happen yeah like 
just just to add on to that, like um, I feel like there have been moments uh, on the show and like in many people's campaigns when a player just you know because they're more into the world than you as a dungeon master or your godlike view uh, is, and they think of something that is more on the human level and is less like you know gamey in terms of just simply okay you go talk to this guy okay he tells you to do this and then you just do the thing instead you're like okay here's the plan right and often those plans can really really be something that you know like the things that they say that you think that they think that you're doing often you were like i I didn't have that plan but i'm gonna use that anyways Mm -hmm. all right next up we have the power gamer sometimes also known as the mid maxer this one i'll admit i ever so slightly lean in this direction although this one is not my primary but i definitely definitely have a little bit of this in me so again uh the description in here they thrive on gaining levels and love the cool abilities that come with those levels. Defeat monsters to take their stuff and use that stuff against future enemies. The story and role-playing are secondary to action and awesome abilities and magic items. So this one is something that most people do have a little bit of in them. So it is the desire to just gain power and whether that is in terms of you know direct levels or whether that is you know treasure in terms of magic items or even just wealth like there are quite a lot of people whose goal in dd is to just have that kind of escapism of just ha 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 i have all the power and all of the money i'm so much better than my you know overweight squishy normal human self and like that honestly is just part of the fun of dnd is that escapism so that is something that just is part of the game and a common thing to see. I would say that like min maxes are can be both really fun or really annoying to play with at times because uh you have like certain things where you're like, oh, th- there's blood, and then you, you know, first the digitation happens, no more blood. Anyways, uh- <laughs> Yeah, as I was saying, um, it can be pretty fun to play with them because sometimes you can have these situations where uh, you want to try, like you you want to have cool powers, you you want to like get your players excited, and these kinds of people are really the kinds of people that will appreciate your. Uh, you taking the time to make very specific magic items for them, uh, creating monsters for them to find that are interesting, and yeah. And just because someone is a min-maxer doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. That phrase does have a lot of negative connotation nowadays. However, there are ways that you as a DM can kind of lean into things to really still let everyone have fun. So one of the big points of being a min-maxer is the min. Like, in order to be the best at something, they often are not great at a lot of other things. And... This is the kind of thing that you could also just talk about in session zero before you actually start the game, which is just what is the one thing or two things, whatever, that they are very, very good at. Because just because they are amazing at something doesn't necessarily mean that that skill is going to be relevant all the time. Like, it's possible for someone to just make like a rogue or bard that just has an absolutely insane like skill with their expertise class ability. So let's just say that someone just maxes their persuasion all the way up to the highest level possible, 
But then if you have someone with the highest amount of persuasion in a monster hunter campaign, that's not going to be the most useful skill all the time. Sure, it'll come in handy sometimes, and it might create some funny moments when the group is out of combat, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's game-breaking that they happen to be stupidly good at one particular skill. I try to persuade the wolf to not kill me! Your yelling at it makes it target you first. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's probably a bit much of a dick move, but seriously, if someone tries to persuade a wolf... Then, honestly, yeah. Alright, next up, another very, very common one. The Slayer. <laughs> Sorry, this just has another funny phrasing in the uh, opening paragraph here. They emphasize kicking the tar out of monsters. Maybe they do so to let off a little steam in a safe way, or they like the joy of feeling superior. Perhaps it's the pleasure of having the power to mete out punishment to villains. So, yeah, this is the person who does not care about most of the roleplay in D&D. They just want to get in fights and kill shit. That is their goal in the game. That is their focus on the game. And, you know, the extreme version of this just don't care about the rest and feel that anything not combat is a waste of time. Like, this kind of play is basically the... Almost opposite of what I enjoy, because I'm, I've never been the person for combat. However, um, Remy, can you tell us about how uh, DM can make games interesting for such a player? Absolutely. So this is actually one that unfortunately is kind of harder to steer for if you're in a game with more mixed motivations, because someone who is very much focused as a slayer motivated character or I guess I shouldn't say player, is someone who just doesn't care a lot about the out-of-combat stuff. So the trick then is to kind of steer them either away from trying to just kill absolutely everyone or to try to incentivize them into, you know, being willing to do the more out-of-combat stuff. So actually, this is another thing that is kind of Caden. So at the start of Riftwake especially, he just did not care about anything out of combat and just wanted to get in fights and kill shit and prove how powerful he was. Like, like yeah. Arc 1 Gora from Naheim was very much devoted to the Slayer player type. I do have to say it's one of those things where like... A Players aren't actually stuck in these archetypes and such, you know. Uh, they they grow. Often players change and grow as they play more or play different campaigns, right? So Caden, when he was just starting out, didn't really have a lot of experience in D and D. It was only after um, one of the episodes where it was just him and Remy when uh, it kind of took a turn where he got to uh, he had more space to actually, you know, uh, act as Gorf and. At that point, it kind of slowly grew to a point where uh, Gorov had its own had 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 his own sort of character that resulted in Caden really latching on into uh, the more um, zany and um, you know interfering interfering with other people, killing random people kind of uh, <laughs> actions that he did. Exactly, and that was something that you actually did well over the course of Arc One was to actually put spotlight on him to kind of force him to 
grow the character out in more ways. Instead of just having him be, you know, a master combatant, you also gave him opportunities to just like explore just other sides of his personality. And now he has grown a lot more over the last year to the point where now he is, you know, more of an instigator than a slayer, I would say, which has been just a kind of interesting evolution to watch over the last year of playing along with him. Next up, we have the storyteller. The player who prefers the narrative of the game, oftentimes even more than individual character motivations and such. So they want to see the big picture events of the world, and the character is just their avatar to seeing the big picture. So this one is another one where I actually lean quite heavily, actually. So even though I do very much enjoy playing the couple of characters that I've gotten to play over the last year, I still just want to see the big picture of Riftwake, because as we do so often talk about, I am an outside-in dungeon master, and that does influence just my view when playing D&D as well. Because I want to just see the big events that are happening, and so that's also why I'm somewhat of an instigator too. So I use my characters to just poke at events to try to get information revealed, like to try to scheme things, because you know, that is just a thing that I enjoy doing. So when I did have Nor just be kind of, you know, rude to Blackthorn a few episodes back, then it was for the intent to try to get you, Nathan, to tell more about the kind of backstory and history in the world. So this is why I mentioned that I'm kind of a blur of instigator and storyteller, because I like to use my character to poke at events to try to get you as my dungeon master to tell me more of the big picture stuff that is out there. Yeah, I would say that like storytellers are very fun to play with um, mm. because like often as a dungeon master, like you, you have these plans and in the background and things that you want to do, and then you you just have these um, storytellers. So if, if if someone enjoys story, the storytelling experience, often they they tend to do things that help along your story in certain ways. Like they, they ask you about things that they are interested in that they feel like might be part of that big story. And then by listening to this, you are able to pull on it and you know use some of that for your actual plot. Indeed. And one other thing, though, that does need to be understood about the storyteller is that they are one of the types that often leans more into the rule of cool versus rules as written. So just because that they want to know a lot of the story stuff, that could also mean then that just they want to tell the more narrow story of the group. It doesn't have to be the big picture. So a lot of the time where there are the kind of characters who are like, I swing off the chandelier and, you know, try to rappel down to you know, catch them by surprise. Like they want to create the big story through their actions and they may attempt things that aren't necessarily, you know, doable by rules as written, but they still may, you know, push you as the DM to just let them kind of try shit. And this is another of those kind of debated things because of course, you know, there are people who do lean more heavily to rules and say, no, no, that's not in the rules. You can't do that. But that is something to be cautious of because that is, again, their player motivation is to try to do this kind of stuff. 
So you as a dungeon master should allow them the opportunities as long as it's not anything that actually breaks rules just because they want to try something. You should let them if it does make sense for just the abilities that they have and just the person that they are. Like, yeah, there may not be a specific rule for trying to swing across the chandelier, but that doesn't mean that you can't just make up a DC for an acrobatics check to let them try. Next up, we have the thinker. The thinker likes to make careful choices, reflecting on challenges and the best way to overcome them. They also enjoy putting themselves, uh, sorry, they also enjoy themselves most when their planning results in success with minimal risk and use of resources. Solving a challenge in a creative way is more important to the thinker than character power or role-playing issues. In fact, the thinker might prefer sound tactics to acting in character or a straightforward brute force battle. Well, gee, who does that sound like to you, Nathan? Who again? <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, this is the one that I would probably say is my primary. I love being the schemer type to try to make the right decision. And that's actually part of why I had so much fun playing as Morris, because as a character with six intelligence, he was the opposite of me. So that I was have a more chance. fun with Morris. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it when I poke at so much things. Really, I don't. But... <laughs> Keep that in mind for my next character. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, though, Nor is a mastermind rogue, so of course I'm going to lean into it that much more. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the thinker is the type who might enjoy puzzles and planning and scheming without necessarily taking like the direct, you know, I charge in and stab the guy kind of plan. And... Like you just said a moment ago, that is not the favorite thing for a lot of DMs because there can be a lot of issues with that type of player. So there is often a kind of, not always, but frequent cross with the rules lawyer in this kind of character because yeah. sometimes this person tries to like bend the rules to, you know, get their way. Honestly, what time. I would say, honestly, what I would say for, for this one is actually the, the main issue I have with people who are um, this archetype is that often you have these players um, who are very intelligent and very creative in the way they think, and they just do things in your world that you yourself uh, to like like to characters that you've created as a dungeon master who are supposed to be very intelligent and know lots of things and then you yourself as the dungeon monster aren't very intelligent or that creative when it comes to these kinds of things and then you're just like oh wait he just said that he duped me shit he did dupe me what <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and that's the kind of situation that i always feel like i end up in when i'm playing with remy <laughs> sorry uh, no, actually, I, that does remind me, though. We should do another episode at some point in the future playing characters smarter than you are. Yeah, that's definitely something that we need to cover. Indeed. But yeah, when you are playing with a thinker type player, this is honestly one of the ones that's pr it's debatable whether that or the instigator can be hardest for a dungeon master to manage because it creates an almost balance needed between allowing them to pull shit or to just kind of stop them in their tracks. And like I said, it is a balance that you kind of have to manage. 
And this is one of those times where just really communication with your player just can really just reduce the stress to just have an understanding between the two of you, at least, that, okay, you know, yeah, you know, you know all the rules and you might know like more about the world and you might know that, you know, you might be able to do this, this and that. But just because you so this is also the player type that is most prone to metagaming as well. Because there is very often the situation where the player knows things and they automatically assume that their character does as well. They don't necessarily. So be sure to enforce what is player knowledge and character knowledge. But at the same time, don't unnecessarily restrict them as well. Like, I'm, like I was trying to say, this is one of the harder ones to balance. But just talk with them and try to just reach an understanding and things will go much more smoothly. And last up, we have the Watcher. This is also a actually very common player type. So this is the casual player who comes to the game because they want to be part of the social event. The Watcher may be shy or just really laid back. They may want to participate or may not really care if they're deeply immersed and may not even want to be assertive or too involved in the details of the game, rules, or story. They enjoy the game by being part of the social circle. This comes up a lot. Some people do just want to be in the game just to hang out with their friends. They may not care at all about the story. They, care. they may not care about anything about D&D, but they're there to hang out with their friends. So I just find this anti-archetype fucking weird. <laughs> how so? No, it's it's that kind of thing where it's like, okay, I get it, right? I I get it as a concept, right? And I, I understand that there are people like that. But the thing is that typically you don't expect um the 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 uh like the typical D and D player to be this kind of thing. But there's something that we we always forget when we talk about D and D is that well, it's become a lot more popular nowadays, and just like it's been uh, appearing in a lot of traditional like not not um in a lot of media and such uh and yeah there's just new people joining all the time and then of course some of those people uh are just going to be starting their own groups and these people are just going to be you know they're, they're not actually really um aren't too interested in dnd but their friends said well i, I want to really try this thing out i saw an x show you know it's like yeah and that that's really a thing that I, I feel only really is a more recent sort of thing, right? So you are absolutely right that that is a type of watcher that is definitely around nowadays. However, this has been a thing forever and not even just for D&D. Like, this is the kind of situation where, okay, let's say that maybe a group of friends have like a you know, Thursday night football game on TV where they all just come to hang out and watch the game together. But there might be one friend in the group who doesn't care about football, but goes to hang out with their friends. And that's the point. Like the watcher player type just may not care about the activity that is happening, whether that is D&D or football or a poker game, whatever. They're just there because the social group that they're in just is doing this activity together so they just say, all right, fine, I'll play too. So this is 
one that also does require balance, although generally is not as difficult to do so. So all that is generally required for managing a watcher would be to just either A, understand that they're just not going to care and just accept that fact. Like, it could just be, like, yeah, they're just another person at the table. It's just another person to help out the action economy of the party. And they're just there to hang out and maybe occasionally, you know, make a sarcastic commentary. And that's okay. Or do you try to pull them in to be more interested in the activity? And both of those options are fine. Once again, this is simply a case of communication with the people that you're playing with being a very valuable thing to just make everyone at the table enjoy the game together. And that's really what this is all about in the end, because you as a dungeon master will have various player types at the table. The odds of every single person being the same player type is infinitesimally small. So having an understanding of what player types can exist and what those player types are at your table for the characters that they're playing also, because different characters might be a different type as the player leans into different aspects of themselves. But understanding and communicating with everyone at the table to have the world and the game that you're playing be best suited to maximum enjoyment for everyone at your table. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us high stars on iTunes. So, so support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tears stars, those a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Support us get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access episodes, access to Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook at Riffwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's Riff's A-N-D rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.